Welcome to the Metro Detroit Christian Church Podcast. Up next, you will hear a message delivered by one of our pastors or guest speakers. We pray that you encounter Jesus Christ as you engage with this message. Welcome, come find your seats. Welcome back from dropping those precious little ones. All right, you need some help this morning. We've been helped already this morning for the last, I don't know, how long. I'm not, I'm not looking at the clock today. We need some help. The Holy Spirit is here right now. He's going to anoint your ears. You didn't come to church today. We're being delivered right now from churchianity. Jesus, I thank you that you're here and you're delivering us and moving, removing from us coming to church. A churchianity that's, that's pervasive in this nation. We just rem- I remove it off you in the name of Jesus. And Thank I call you, Lord. you disciples this morning, mm. this afternoon. Disciples, disciples of Christ, eager, leaning in to hear like you must hear. Because if you don't hear, what, what, what the hell is going to happen to you? I anoint you to listen like you've never heard before. An anointing from the Holy Spirit to be a disciple this morning. However much of a disciple you think you've been, you haven't reached it yet. I just want to tell you that. You haven't become a, a full, 100% full-blooded disciple of Christ yet. We're getting there, but we're not quite there. Reach in this morning. Yeah. And, like, receive the anointing and the awakening of your ear this yes. morning. Just release it to you. Holy Spirit, awaken these ears mm. to hear like they've never heard before. I just rebuke every religious principality. Offer your ears that you would hear today in the name of Jesus. Yes. Yeah, and I hear the words of the Apostle Paul who says, Let every man be accursed. Let even an angel preach another gospel. Let him be accursed. He's cursing. He's speaking curse upon any other gospel being preached than the true gospel that Paul preaches, the true gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I speak that same. <laughs> I speak a curse on every other gospel in this in this city in this territory. Yes. Yes. It, where there's yes. It may shrivel up and die. Yes. May it may it be destroyed. Every other weak religious voice be destroyed except for the true gospel of Jesus Christ that sets people free. And I speak that same gospel to be released this morning through Pastor Pete. I thank you for your spirit upon him this morning, that the true gospel of Jesus Christ is released upon us this morning in power and sets the people free to their destiny. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. Thank you, God, for what you're already doing. Thank you, God, for your spirit who is here right now. Release the true gospel. Yes. Release the true doctrine, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Let's look at the screen here. Matthew 9, 36 to 38. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes... Say multitudes. <clears throat> Give us sight for the multitudes, Lord. I pray that you'd break a myopic, short-sighted, narrow, selfish, 
family-oriented worldview and give us eyes for the multitude. Oh, if you want that, put your hand on your heart. Ask Jesus to give you his eyes for the culture, the multitudes. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed by demons and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. The whole culture of sheep and there's no leadership. Even the leaders are sheep. There's no shepherds in the culture anymore. Even the candidates that are running are so elementary. So narrow-minded. So without proper skills of communication and personal hygiene. Jesus' solution. He turns to his disciples and says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, because of this condition, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus' view of a culture, a leaderless culture, a fatherless culture, a shepherdless culture, was to equip disciples. Say disciples. He's not equipping crowd people. People who just go to church are not necessarily getting equipped. It's only a disciple, someone who has ears to hear and eyes to see and is very eager, is, is giving up their life for this equipping. His solution is he takes those people, those disciples, and he equips them with prayer. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Three things. Pray. You pray to the Lord of the harvest. It's very important. You pray to the right person. You pray to the Lord of the harvest. And you pray that the Lord of the harvest send out laborers. Three things. Lord of the harvest. He's the owner of the harvest. The harvest is, I'll talk a little bit more about this in a little bit, but the harvest is a move from heaven. It starts with Jesus in the heavenlies, and he releases a sharp sickle into a region or amongst a people. And when that happens, there's separation of ungodly, unrighteous, wicked people. They're judged. 
Harvest is a time of judgment. The wicked people are separated from the righteous people. The righteous get established. The wicked are punished and isolated. Restrained. And then there's an ingathering of people from the culture into the body of Christ, into the kingdom of God. It's all that goes on in the harvest. And the Lord... He's the master of that. He controls the times and the seasons, the rhythms of harvest in the earth. God is the one who chooses people, regenerates them, gives them faith to believe in Jesus, and seals them with the Holy Spirit. He's the Lord of the harvests. The harvest's success is dependent on his blessing. It's not by human might or wisdom or strategy that people are gathered into the kingdom. But it's by the Holy Spirit who's been sent to the earth to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. It's the Spirit's work in people's hearts he completes the harvest he does the harvest god is the one who changes the soil of a person's heart and even the soil of a region god is the one who changes a person or a region from being rocky and hard to soft and receptive A people ready and desiring to receive the word of God. The job of changing the nature of soil in a person or a community, that job belongs to God. The Lord of the harvest. That's why we need to pray to him to do that. How many of you have ever been frustrated by the hardness or lack of receptivity to the gospel or to Jesus in your sphere, your neighborhood, or your workplace. God is the one who will change those hearts. It's called the new covenant where we don't even teach our neighbor. We don't even do that. God is the one who just changes their hard heart and all of a sudden it becomes soft. That's what Jesus died to Get that ministry. God oversees the whole process of the harvest. He's the master of the yield. Chief of the harvest. Every aspect of its implementation is under his sovereign control. The laborers in this harvest co-laborers with him we are not sent to do the harvest we're sent to labor with him in the harvest he's the initiator of the harvest Paul said I planted 
Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. He said, we're co-laborers with God in this process. So we pray to the Lord of harvest, and he says, pray. He says, pray to this man. We'll look more about who is the Lord of the harvest in a few minutes. He says, pray, and that word in the Greek is passive imperative, meaning you are, when he says pray, you become the recipient of an action. That's really, really good news. Prayer is not a human, religious generated function, it's a Holy Spirit initiated and generated function within us God says pray and this force of prayer hits us you're being acted upon in this time right now you're under a command the Lord is commanding you disciples are under command. They're not in a process of hearing a teaching and then deciding in their own opinion what they want to take or leave. No, they're under command. And the Lord is commanding us to pray. But as He's commanding us, we're being acted upon powerfully. The command itself carries with it the Holy Spirit of prayer. The Spirit is acting upon us to pray for rain to fall from heaven on the earth that the Lord of the harvest might receive the precious fruit. The precious fruit is people. We're being called to pray that rain come, hard hearts be softened, so that the Lord can reap them. We're, we're called to pray that laborers be sent out. That Greek word is ekbala. This is an ekbala move. Jesus connects his disciples with prayer with an ekbala move. So you and I are being connected with something. We're being connected with prayer by the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of our cooperation with the Holy Spirit will be ekpala, sending of people. The Greek word ekpala is translated in New King James as sending out. But it's, that is really too soft of, of a translation. It means to cast out, to drive out, even with a notion of violence. We need this. I need this. I, I'm standing, Lord, in the need of prayer that results in something acting upon me that casts me out, even apart from my willpower. I need an action to thrust me somewhere, take me somewhere. 
This word means to compel a person to leave, to depart. And it's stern in its language. It means to command or cause one to depart in haste. And it releases rapid motion of going forth. The person who speaks it is functioning under an aggressive force. And as they send the person, that force goes with that person and sends them out. The person who is sent has such a force on them that they overcome an opposing force. Force. Oh, this is really good news. So we are praying to the Lord of the harvest. We're receiving the action, the unction, the energy of the Holy Spirit to pray. And as we're praying, he is then releasing a rapid force on us that's sending us out. And in the sending, the things that would oppose our voice is overcome. Sending is great. It mean, To send means to cause one to move straight to the intended goal. It's to lead one forth somewhere with a force they can't resist. This is called a great surrender we're in. Send me with a force I can't resist. Send me somewhere to someone, your intended goal, your preordained person, ordained from the foundation of the world to hear the voice of the Son of God, to hear the gospel. Send me to that person you've intended to hear the gospel. This word, ekbala, is the same word as it's used to cast out demons. You cast a demon out. When, when a demon is cast out, the finger of God would come on a person and the embedded evil and, and temptation or stronghold or trauma or weakness that was in that person's psyche or body or in their physical illness, when Jesus would speak a word, say, casting a demon out, the finger of God would come out of eternity into time and, and release that person from that embedded demonic spirit. It's a very, very loving and aggressive action that's what's happening to us we're being sent out like this the finger of god is lovingly just casting us out of what we're embedded in we're embedded in fruitlessness entrenched in it but if we pray something's going to uproot us from that system and send us maybe somewhere we don't even want to go. 
We're not in charge of the sending. It's an action greater than you or I. Jesus is equipping his disciples. Does it say, what does it say up there? The next screen. Is there any verse there? Read the verse. <laughs> oh no, not that one. Go to, the, go to the last one before. That one. Read that one. Jesus is equipping disciples in prayer. I love this. Prayer equipping does not come through formulas. It comes by revelatory encounters. So if Jesus is saying, pray to the Lord of the harvest, you are about to get some type of revelatory encounter that connects you with whoever the Lord of the harvest is. Because when, when you see, when you see the Lord, you're praying. How many of you are, are ready to be captivated by a person Like locked into this person that you, it fascinates you. You can't figure him out. You just have to look at him. That's prayer. <laughs> prayer comes by revelatory encounters. This Thursday, in my Crossing Kingdom class with the SOF1 disciples, let's have every SOF1 student stand up. I want you to see. Okay, there's two of them are in the, in the um, everyone look around. Look at these people. Two of them are in the sound booth. I, I think Ashley's not here. Is, is Ashley here? Oh, she's with the kids. Okay, so we got one, two, three, four, five of, five of us here, right? One, two, three, four, five. Someone else missing too. Josh, it's not here. Okay, so I want you guys who are standing, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say and make sure I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> I want you to hold me accountable to the, tell the truth. And if you want to come up and elaborate a little bit after what I've said, you're, you're welcome to. Thursday... We got together, and I had the, just the hardest time Thursday morning t trying to get the teaching for the day. I didn't have one. I desperately came in with notes for about 16 teachings, <laughs> hoping that the Holy Spirit would, like, put his finger on So still we get there, we sit down, nothing. I had nothing. So I said, well, if I don't have anything, let's just talk. So we just talked. Is it true? We just talked at the beginning. We, just, we talked about the break we were on. We just came back from spring break and wonderful. And then after a while, I said, I'm sick of talking. So 
I knew it was time to pray. I was time, okay, it's time to pray. And I, I said, not knowing anything what's going to happen. I just said, I'm going to pray. And then you guys, whatever the Holy Spirit, you know, doesn't you, you just, you just follow the Holy Spirit. I opened up my voice, my heart, and all of a sudden I had a prayer. Like I had a prayer. I was surprised because minutes before that, I didn't think I had anything to say. That's the spirit of prayer. And I just began saying, God, I approach you, living God, not on the basis of my own righteousness. I can't approach you on my own righteousness. I approach you, the living God, on the basis of the blood of your son. God, it was your decision. It was your decision to place me in Christ. It wasn't mine. It was your decision to place me in him and crucify me in Christ. I approach you, God, on the basis of the fact that you have crucified me with Christ, buried me with him, raised me up with him, and now I stand before you unable to be accused. And I said... On that basis, I pray for your kingdom to come to Farmington Hills. And with that, the spirit of prayer hit the room. Am, am I, are you, am I thumb, thumbs up okay? Am I, exaggerate, am I exaggerating? Grace is not sure. Okay. She, she's, okay. she's really discerning carefully. You can't pull anything over Grace. She's like, she won't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's, she'll smell out any control, anything religious. Yeah, it's really good. She only responds if God's doing something. A spirit of prayer hit, and then Pastor Melissa hit the floor. And then pretty soon other students started hitting the floor with not even seeing her hit the floor. And then before I know it, almost all of us, there's about eight or ten of us in the room, are laying prostrate on the floor. And we are praying, like I don't know if I've ever been in a prayer time like that. That's what I felt personally. That's what I, my experience. I was like, these guys, I felt like the Holy Spirit changed them from whatever they're, whoever they are, wherever they are, until they were like, all of a sudden they were seasoned apostles and prophets. This is my experience. And they prayed with such accuracy and with such a kingdom worldview, crying, there was nothing, they were crying out to the Lord. Any of you want to comment on your experience in that? Yes or no? Come on, Jody, and the rest of you can sit down. Tell us about your experience in that prayer time. So my experience of Thursday was phenomenal. 
I heard Pastor Melissa just like crying out to the Lord and I felt him shove me out of my chair and onto the ground with my arms like stretched like this and my face to the ground just like giving myself as an instrument to the Lord. I was just giving my entire self over as an instrument for the Lord to use in changing Farmington Hills. And then probably an hour, 45 minutes later, I look up and everybody else is also on the ground. And I was like, nice. (laughs) (laughs) And I just felt so much victory in that. Yeah. That the Lord just moved powerfully in all of us. It was wonderful. So that day... That was Thursday. On Thursday morning, I had been invited to attend with Eric Moore, who's going to be here two weeks from now speaking. I'd been invited to attend an intra-faith conference being held at a church, another church in Farmington Hills, where there would be all sorts of, of imams, pastors, activists, um, and um Jewish leaders who were favorable to the Palestinian cause in the Middle East. And this, there was a three-hour meeting there. I ended up not being able to go, but I watched an hour and a half of it online. And um, What was taking place there was not from Jesus Christ. The words that were coming out, the perspectives. It was other other spirits. I think I mentioned to the class a little, just a little bit about that thing that took place that morning. But I didn't talk about it a lot, and so they didn't have much background. But they began praying in such a way that they understood that there is something called a city. And in that city, there is two persons Sowing, doing something. There's the enemy, the devil. And there's Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, in a city. And they're sowing, meaning they're, they're releasing words. What's the word I'm looking for? When, it, when you have a, a worldview... Not agenda, paradigm, agenda, worldview. What's, what is, what is, speak louder. <laughs> Mindset, perspective, perception, grid, system, filter. I haven't hit the zinger yet. My spirit's not released yet. <laughs> yes, those things. Oh, there's a word I'm really wanting right now. Help me. 
Starts, I think it starts with an L. <laughs> okay, we need to move on. We're going to be stuck here all day. Okay, so the devil is sowing words and worldviews and grids and perspectives amongst the people. And that is building up a false church, a false ecclesia. And then Jesus, the Son of Man, is sowing the Word of God. He's opening up a revelatory environment over a city. And there are people who are called out and they're hearing that voice and they're being called together to be the God's governing assembly. So there's a portal of hell and a portal of heaven taking place in the same city. The students didn't even know much about that. And they began praying by the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. This is, Lord, take the portal of heaven and begin expanding it until the portal of hell gets driven outside of Farmington Hills. I know, it was crazy. And there were so many other, I mean, it was just like, it was just, well, when Jesus says, pray the Lord of the harvest, I've had to, I had to undergo deliverance and cleansing from all sorts of, and now I'm, I'm delivered from it, and I'm, it's like so exciting to me. There's this force coming on me. It's like, that's what happened. I, we're, we're talking, blather, and then all of a sudden, here's the boom, the spirit of prayer, suddenly filling the temple. That's, you know what? That's what you get in the new covenant. Are you in the new covenant? Yes. The new covenant, you're under a man in heaven who can suddenly do anything in any place where you're at. He's, 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 I've been experiencing that lately. Suddenly, I go from like no joy to like ecstatic, crazy, raucous, drunken laughter, like like that. Went from no revelation, no prayer to a spirit of prayer. Suddenly, and now we're praying to the Lord of the Harvest. Who is the Lord of the Harvest? We get a picture of it in this scripture in Revelation 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And on the cloud, one, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. So the Son of Man is the Lord of the harvest. The Son of Man is the one with the sickle. It's really clear, isn't it? That's who we're praying to, the Son of Man, who's sitting on a cloud. And... We looked at this last week. You've heard this many times. We need to hear it again. The Son of Man means something. Just real quick, in Daniel 7, Daniel has a vision 
And he sees the winds of heaven stirring up a great sea and four great beasts coming out of the sea. And the fourth beast was exceedingly strong and dreadful and terrible with iron teeth, huge iron teeth, devouring and breaking in pieces and trampling. And a horn grows out of the head of this beast with the eyes of a man and the mouth speaking pompous words. That is what you're living in. And then Daniel continues to watch this thing unfold and thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated and his garment was white as snow and his hair was pure wool. The same thing Jesus is wearing when John sees him. So Jesus is the Ancient of Days. Or he's clothed with the garment of the Ancient of Days. Fiery streams issues from before his throne of fire and thousands and thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands are ministering to him. And the court was seated and the books were opened. So this is, this, this, you're being equipped in prayer. You're praying in this scene. We're we're being given the books of the Bible to live in them. So we're praying, and as we're praying, this, the winds of heaven are stirring up the culture and allowing a world government to come into place. And this pompous horn is oppressing the saints and speaking awful things. And, but then, ha, 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 thrones are set in place, multiple thrones. You have one of those, by the way. Multiple thrones are set in place in the Ancient of Days and and there's fiery streams coming from the Ancient of Days and they sit down. The court is seated. And then the next verse, let's look at this one. The Son of Man enters. It's the unveiling of the Son of Man. I was watching in the night visions. Behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him and everyone said together, verse 14... He was given this. Jesus was given cause and effect. He was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, a cause, to effect service, submission of people's languages and nations. What he has causes something to happen. He wasn't given an empty throne, of a, a throne void of power. He was given dominion, glory, clean that this should happen. But the sun, it keeps going on. The chapter keeps going on. And Daniel continues to watch, and it says in verse 21, I was watching, and the same horn of the beast who is making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So, what the Son of Man has transfers 
a decision, a court makes a decision. And there's favor issued to the people on earth. And what the Son of Man has transfers to them. They now have cause and effect. They now have dominion, glory, and a kingdom that when they function out of it, there is something effectual released into the culture that causes people to submit. Are you with me? Is this exciting or what? Does this make you want to throw down your idols? (laughs) Idols stink. John, let's go back to John Revelation. We're in this. I looked and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat on the cloud. John seen Daniel 7. Whoever's on the cloud is God. Exodus 16 says, Now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The glory of God is in the cloud. (laughs) Leviticus 16.2, the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time to the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So God appears in the cloud. God is in the cloud. I I have about 30 other scriptures. Will you believe me that a cloud means God? God God manifests, God revealing himself. And John says, I see one like the Son of Man seated on a white cloud. This man is seated on God. This man is God. We're praying. We are praying. When he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, you're praying to a man on a cloud. You're praying to a man who has the glory of God being revealed in him. Okay? Well, this Son of Man gets revealed in Revelation, not just in this verse, in Revelation 4. He's revealed in Revelation 1. It says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Everything in heaven is loud, except when it's quiet. He hears a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. This is the Son of Man. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me that said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. 
And I turned and I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. So the Son of Man is on a cloud, and the Son of Man is amongst the lampstands. Are you with me? Revelation 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So what's the Son of Man doing? Walking in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Did the Lord speak to us about repentance today? Did he, didn't he speak to us about it? He spoke it to us. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So, God is in the midst of the lampstand. So we know from Revelation that the seven stars represent seven angels, and the seven lampstands represent seven churches. So we have the Son of Man walking among us. We're a lampstand. We have God walking among us. And what's he doing? He's inspecting us and helping us upgrade. Say inspection, Inspection. upgrade. Upgrade. Aren't you glad he's not inspecting to condemn? But he's very serious about what he finds that isn't conducive for the transfer of the authority he has into our midst. He's very serious about it. So he inspects. And then he approves the things. Oh, you guys are, MDCC, you guys are doing so well. You've been so patient. You've been, you've been, you know, staying true to the message for, you know, umpteen years. You've, you've started a school and you've delivered the children from the spirit of the age and you're discipling young people and you've done so well in discipling the men and the women. They, you've got a group of people that are living in the power of the cross on the inside of them and they're growing up and there's wonderful praise and worship. Good job! And he opens up the service, Jesus says, Welcome! I've been looking forward to having you here today. He does that. And then he says, and, and there's a few things. <laughs> Why we're talking. 
I need to, I need you to look at this. Because I remember your history. Saying to the Ephesians here. He's saying, first, he's talking about first love and first works. Well, what was the first love and the first works of the Ephesians? That's when Paul came in in Acts 19. Before the, there wasn't a church there. And he took 12 guys. And he laid his hands on them and filled them with the Holy Spirit. He goes, remember that? Remember when you laid hands on somebody who didn't know me at all and they got filled with the Holy Spirit? Remember that? Remember, you know, and Paul went to the synagogue and they rejected him in the synagogue. And he said, ah, screw you. <laughs> What is this? You missed that, Pastor Ryan. <laughs> Jesus stood up and said, What is this? <laughs> Did you guys know that Pastor Ryan was in the New York Times? Yeah, someone took a picture of him in the Republican, Oakland County Republican Convention. He's standing up and goes, What is this? It was the most awesome thing in the world. <laughs> he just verbalized what everybody else was thinking. Like, what is this? <laughs> Scott and Muriel were right there, and Lisa and I, and who else was in the picture? Pastor John? Ashley, Jason, we're famous, guys. <laughs> New York Times. <laughs> so Jesus is walking about, God is walking about in Jesus, the church, and he's affirming and building us up, and then he goes, what is this? <laughs> Something is not... And he goes and he starts talking about, do you remember? Do you remember when, when Paul came in and then he you know, just said, what is this to the Jews? And then he went back to, he went to this Tyrannus Hall and we began having these meetings and you know, like the fire and power was coming off of Paul's clothes and people were taking handkerchiefs and aprons and running to their neighbors and people were getting saved and healed, delivered. Remember that? Do that! In the name of Jesus! I'm just going to speak to myself right now. In the name of Jesus, Peter! Do that! Lay your hands on people to see them filled with the Holy Spirit. Find the power to drive out demons. Do that. You know the problem with all these great moves of God? We were, we, we were in some great moves of God. They quit doing that. Repent and do your first works. Or, like this, I'm going to take your lampstand away. The portal you've been under, 
I'm just going to lift it. You guys can still go to church, but I'm not going to be there. So, there are some things. The purpose of the correction is to keep us aligned with heaven. So we can have access to paradise and eat some heavenly food and experience what Jesus describes in Revelation 2.24. I say to you and to the rest in Thyatira, as many of you who do not have this doctrine, say doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. Hold fast what you have have till I come. He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, him I'll give power over the nations, as I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Here's the Son of David on a cloud in heaven who's been given dominion, glory, and, a, and power. So that when he speaks, something happens. And he's ready to transfer that to a real congregation in a real city. And he says, but this, this thing here, this doctrine you have is blocking it. It's hindering the process. This is the Son of Man. This is the Lord of the harvest we're praying to. Be careful when you start praying to the Lord of harvest because you're going to start being aligned So whatever's in your life that's hindering the transfer coming through you. He says, the thing that's ticking me off is this doctrine. In, in this church, it was, <clears throat> this is the doctrine in this chapter, Revelation 2, 24, 20, is the doctrine of Jezebel. Earlier in the chapter, let's go back to the last scripture. No, the last um, yes, right here. This you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And another letter to another church, he said, I have this against you. You're holding to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So there's three doctrines in these letters that, Paul, that, that, the writer, that Jesus addresses that are messing the church up. And let me tell you, doctrine is is the most powerful thing on the earth. I'm trying to find that word again. (laughs) There's an L word. Doctrine, Doctrine is teaching that comes from the spirit world. It's the most powerful thing on the earth teaching that comes from the spirit world those who hear the teaching are automatically internally conformed to the teaching doctrine conforms you you might think that the doctrine is coming to give you a certain intellectual or conceptual worldview but no doctrine always goes right to the spirit it's spirit to spirit that's why it's really important you're in the right doctrine you know, religious doctrine is doctrine of demons. The apostles' doctrine is doctrine from heaven. It's coming from Christ and the Father. The doctrine of the Father, doctrine of the Son. And whatever doctrine you're under conforms you. It forms you. And whatever forms the ecclesia forms the culture. So doctrines go through the church and then they make nations. 
That's what happens. So Jesus is very serious about this screen. <laughs> the doctrine of Balaam. No, back. The doctrine is that Balaam is trying to mix a greedy desire for profit with prophetic kingdom values. It's, it's people who are trying to live the American dream and have the kingdom dream. You know, it's, people want to make America great again without the kingdom being the means by which America is made great again. It's a mixture. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's screwing up the Republican Party right now. It's, it's keeping us from advancing. It's keeping a culture of the government of the people suppressed and oppressed. And Jesus is very serious about this. The doctrine of Balaam. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. The doctrine of Jezebel, which was in the church of Thyatira, is this, this, this thing that rejects prophetic authority to develop your own teaching system within the ecclesia. It's, it's you feeling like you know more than the revelatory system that's coming from heaven. That's the doctrine of Jezebel. And it causes you to be out of alignment with pastors and apostles and prophets. It causes you to be, to be in your own isolated little system within the church. Jesus is like, I, I will have none of this. If, if, in fact, he, he speaks to senior leaders. says, if you tolerate this in your church, I'm lifting the lampstand. It's, go, it's gone. The portal's gone. And then, then there's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which is <clears throat> some people think that this came out of Nicholas, who is one of the seven deacons appointed in the New Testament in Acts chapter 6. And <clears throat> whether it was him or another Nicholas, <laughs> it's this teaching that developed out of some guy named Nicholas, they think. And <clears throat> what it was connected to was a teaching that's called antinomianism. Antinomianism comes from two Greek words, anti and nomos, meaning law. Anti, against, and nomos, law. It's any view which rejects the law. It rejects legalism and then argues against any moral, religious, or social restriction or norm. An antinomian is one who takes the principle of salvation by faith and divine grace to the point of asserting that those who are saved are no longer bound to the moral code in the Ten Commandments. Antinomians believe that faith alone guarantees security in heaven regardless of one's actions. And it causes them to teach other people to have a license to sin. And that sin does not require repentance. One famous antinomian was attributed to saying, if you sin, be happy. It will have no consequence. 
you know, the Hebrew people, the Jews, have a long history of preaching against cult prostitutes. They were constantly dealing with this in the religions of the people around them who had various religions and they were always mixed with sexual immorality. The early Christian church was being established amongst a pagan culture where these other cults, these other religions would worship Aphrodite including and had temple servants who would engage in ritual prostitution. In shrines and temples. There was another practice occurring in Greek, Greece and Rome called the Dionysian Mysteries, where people would use intoxicants and other trance-inducing techniques, dance, music, to remove inhibitions from people and social restraints in believers, regardless of their class or their gender, so that they would enter into some type of animalistic state of mind. So, the Nicolaitans were influenced by antinomianism, and basically they believed that the command against ritual sex was part of the Mosaic law. And since they've been freed by Jesus' blood from the Mosaic law... Ritual sex is not forbidden to them anymore. It's kind of a weird mindset. And yet, that mindset exists in a major way in our country on a spectrum called hypergrace. Hypergrace. Back one. Is rejection of the law. It produces a rejection of the moral code and insensitivity to sin. Do you want the Holy Spirit, the new covenant, the grace, the Spirit? Holy Spirit is the Spirit of grace. The Spirit comes to make you ultra sensitive to the presence of sin. Hypergrace dulls the human psyche to sin and very subtly gives you a sense of permission or it's not that big of a deal. How many of you can relate, don't raise your hand, to that influence coming in and affecting your mindset in some way? Okay, the Lord spoke to me next screen said to me this week, hypergrace teaching has perverted the revelation of Christ in the earth. Hypergrace causes has caused a whole generation of churches to be unwilling to see harvest because harvest is about judgment upon wicked people. Doctrines form the inner structures of men's hearts and they set the patterns of nations and churches and just go ahead and put on your social media scriptures about hell. Look at the response you're going to get from believers 
Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. There are eternal consequences to receiving him and his provision to overcome sin, every sin. There's provision to overcome every sin. This verse in Matthew says, The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. They'll be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The Lord of the harvest is the Son of Man. He's on a cloud. He's God. And he's walking among this lampstand. And he's saying, discern the doctrine of Balaam, the doctrine of Jezebel, and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Discern where this is and get rid of it. It's keeping us from seeing the Son of Man. It's keeping us from a move of harvest where there's going to be a judgment of wicked people. I just want to say it matters whether you're righteous or wicked. It matters whether you have a wicked thought in you, a wicked way. A wicked perception. It matters. Because the Lord is coming and He's going to separate out those who are wicked from those who are righteous. He's going to condemn, restrict, punish the wicked. And He's going to reward and establish the righteous. And when that happens, there's going to be a rushing in of people from the culture. (sighs) We're being inspected. This month, for the purpose of an upgrade, 
a transfer. Until the very air we breathe is flowing with the effect of people wanting to submit. Let me say this again. We're being inspected. That means when, when you're being inspected, it means the Lord's going into places you don't see or understand about yourself. You can't see him. He's going into that place and he's stirring up in there to reveal where you are very subtly believing a hyper-grace doctrine that's causing you to be dull to sin, insensitive to it, and it's keeping you from repentance. The Lord's going to stir that up so you can see it and repent of it. The Lord's going to be moving and challenging our mindsets about money. You know, Jesus, you know, was telling the disciples it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And they said, who can be saved then? Because everybody wants to be rich. And he goes, oh, with men, this is impossible. But with God, it's possible to make people wealthy and have them not be corrupted by it. It's possible. But we really need the Lord of the harvest to separate out our values concerning money that everything about wealth within us is stewarded for the kingdom. He's going to be challenging that this month, doctrine of Balaam. And he's definitely, he's always, always working to reveal Jezebel. Jezebel lurks in the unredeemed subconscious. <laughs> right here in this room right now. And it keeps people from hearing. It keeps them in an I agree mode inside. Whoa! I agree. I agree. I agree with what's being said. I, I agree with what's going on here. This is a good sermon. <laughs> Maybe not this one, but <laughs> I agree. And what's really going on is you're having your own system your own perspective of things that's not coming from the spirit of revelation. Hello? The ecclesia has one, one source of thinking. One. The spirit of revelation. And it causes there to be a people that have one heart, one mind, one voice. 
Jesus wants to reveal that so that you and us can have an upgrade. He wants one system going on in our minds, coming out of the spirit of revelation. So if you have a disagreement with somebody, if you see something different, you really need to talk to that person. Go to that person. You may have something that you may see something that I don't see. If you, if you have a revelation that's different from what I'm preaching or teaching, you need to come talk to me. Be bold. I won't yell at you. I won't. I'll really listen. And if your revelation is, is from the Lord, I will change. If it's not, you need to be ready to <laughs> go through some conversations. May include, may bring some other people in so it's not just about me and you. Because it's not about me and you or you and the other pastor. It's about us and Christ. That's what this is all about. Jesus wants to root out every authority center within us. Say authority center. Every authority center that's not coming from him and his word. He wants us all under one governing word. So he's going, to, he's going to inspect us for the sake of upgrade because we are heading toward a harvest. And he wants the very air we breathe. I'm about to, I'm about to get to the climax of this teaching. You said you wanted to endure the word today. You, someone prayed that. There's about to come something out of the temple, out of us. Let's go back to Revelation 14. I looked and behold a white cloud, and on the cloud one like a son of man who is going throughout the assembly to reveal doctrines and the influence of doctrines that are displeasing to him. That one is going throughout the, the ecclesia. And he's God. And he has on his head a crown of gold. And in his hand a sharp sickle. Then another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice. To him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud listened to the angel. And he thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Do you realize? The potential of what can come out of our assembly. Jesus told John in Revelation 11, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. 
He also said to John, John said, I looked into this heavenly city and I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God and the Lamb are its temple. So, out of this temple, what is the temple? The temple, rise and measure the temple. The temple is the altar and those who worship there. Revelation 11.1. 1. What is the temple? The temple is a sacrifice and those who are literally adoring worshiping, bowing down, yielding their money, their livelihood, their energy. They're worshiping at this altar, this sacrifice that takes away their sin. That's the temple. It's not a physical structure. Jesus, John sees this, the Son of Man with a sharp sickle, And then all of a sudden, out of the temple, out of those who are worshiping the Lamb, laying down their lives to experience the power and benefit of His sacrifice, out of their midst comes a loud voice. Say a loud voice. voice. This is not religious praying. This is not apathetic praying. This is praying that sees that the destiny of of a city is at stake. This angel comes out and says, thrust in your sickle for it's time. Okay, John is seeing the heavenly side of what Jesus is talking about on the earthly side. And what Paul's talking about on the earthly side Real quick, let's look at this in 1 Corinthians. Now the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. The fruit of the doctrine of Balaam, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and the doctrine of Jezebel, all of them, the ultimate fruit is immorality. It's a breaking of boundaries around gender. It's a breaking of boundaries around sexuality. All false teaching leads to some form of immorality a breaking of the structures of male and female and the blessed family unit. All false teaching. That's why the apostles are just working overtime. He says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Shall I take the members of Christ and go online and look at online pornography? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who has joined himself to pornography has received the spirits that are behind pornography? He who is joined to the harlot is one body with her. For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Flee antinomianism. Flee the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Flee Jezebelic mindsets. Flee the teaching of Balaam. Every sin that a man does is outside his body. He who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Are you, are you not your own? 
For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Do you not know us corporately that we are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in us? There is a people. I am preaching way beyond you right now. There is a people that do not have antinomianism in them. In the 21st century, there's a people that Jesus Christ is raising up and they're being cleansed from hyper grace. And they're coming into the real grace of God that makes them dead to sin, sensitive to sin, overcoming sin, saying no to sin as their daily practice. There's bodies being raised up, filled with the real grace of God, who are worshiping at the altar. The book of Revelation shows us the heavenly side of that body, those people. John sees in Revelation 14 an angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. Jesus on the earthly side says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Let me say this again. John in Revelation is seeing the heavenly side of a move of God. Jesus and the apostles are working with the people on earth. Jesus says, go into the world and preach the gospel. Let there be a voice coming out of you that preaches the gospel. John says, hey, I see an angel flying through West Bloomfield and Farmington Hills, and it's preaching the everlasting gospel. It's two, it's one thing. So, Jesus says, pray the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. Matthew 9, 38. John sees the heavenly side of that, where an angel comes out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sits on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, and the harvest is ripe. The Holy Spirit is telling us in Colossians 4, continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. There's a people right now that are being cleansed by Jesus' blood. And it's cleansing them from hyper grace. It's cleansing them from the love of money. It's cleansing them from their own independent processing system that keeps them out from the spiritual authority that Jesus is setting up in the earth. Jesus is cleansing them. He's inspecting them so that they can be elevated, upgraded, until the air they breathe is, is, is under the transfer of his authority so that when they pray to the Lord of the harvest, it's not going to be done with apathy or formulas 
religiosity. It'll be this gut-wrenching, heartfelt prayer to the Lord of the harvest. And they're going to see that that their prayers on earth are joining this angel that's coming out of us who's speaking to the Son of Man, saying, it is time for you to wave your sickle, move your sickle through the region. The fear of the Lord is coming this month to integrate us with heaven. He's going to make us very uncomfortable with the ways we have done church up to this point. We've had some good good stuff, but we're ready to be upgraded. How many of you want to be upgraded so that the air you breathe, the words you say, are flowing with Jesus' divine authority to cause people to serve him? Let's, let's lift up our voice right now. Let's stand up together. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed wrestling with the Word and the Spirit as you engaged with this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.metrodetroit.org. And have a great week.